market. The S&P. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where we talk all things money, but without all the crap and jargon that usually goes with it, maybe make you think and laugh along the way. I'm Andrew Page, and as always, I'm joined by Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, fools. Thanks for listening. Today, we're going to give you a plain English take on it's not a biscuit, it's not a laxative. So what is Brexit and should we care? Two in five jobs could completely disappear, at least according to the Productivity Commission, is yours in the firing line. And don't look now, but Aussie investors have just become 90 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars poorer. Plus, what most people get wrong about investing and how you can get it right. Now, we like to have a bit of fun and and levity on this podcast, but uh, the Brexit thing took a really serious turn this morning. Yeah, it did, Andrew. As we record this on Friday morning, June 17, comes the news that British MP Joe Cox was killed by someone who allegedly shouted Britain first as he killed her. Now, this is a business and investment podcast, not a political one, uh, but her death really does move things from the abstract to the very sadly concrete. And it also, frankly, shows the real consequences of political campaigns that invoke fear and hatred. We don't know which way the Brexit vote will go, but political debate shouldn't cost parliamentarians their lives. Valet Joe Cox. Now, unfortunately, we can't change Joe Cox's death, uh, but unless the British police defer it, there will be a Brexit vote on Thursday. And as a business and investing podcast, our role is to understand and explain what's going on. Yeah, so exactly what is a Brexit and should we care? Uh, as I said, it kind of sounds like a biscuit or a breakfast cereal, maybe a laxative, um, but it's actually the combination of the words Britain and exit. And as that suggests, it's a referendum in the UK It's going to ask the people there whether the region should stay in the European Union or not. Uh, It's a tough question, um, and it really does have the British people divided. And it seems as though a lot of the experts aren't in agreement either. They did a recent poll, and there was a bit of a split there between, you know, these these leading economists. Um, Yes, the majority, about, about three quarters, thought that it would be a bad idea for Britain to leave the EU. Um, A bunch that were undecided, and about 8% that thought that, you know, they'd actually be better off. So, Scott, I'm going to ask you, will Britain leave the EU and will they be better off for it? Andrew, if I knew that, I could make a lot of money from the bookies. But speaking of the bookies, I guess uh, often these things, polls say one thing and, and the bookies obviously often say another. And it's almost always the case that the bookies tend to get it right. And quite frankly, right <laughs> now, there's something like a two-thirds chance that Britain will remain in the EU. Okay. About a third chance, give or take, that, they, that Britain will leave. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, the polls aren't always right, of course. Also, the reality is that like our own referendum on the Republic in 1999, even people who think they might want to change end up going to the ballot box. And when it comes to putting a tick in the box, they tend to be more conservative and tend to say, I'm not really sure I'll stick with the status quo. Go with what you know. Yeah, look, it's always hard when you look forward, but let's look backwards for a second. And if we look, you know, in recent history, there's been a, a, a whole bunch of sort of you know, world-shaking events. We had North Korea testing nukes. We had the US uh, and allies invading Iraq. We had a huge earthquake and, you know, nuclear disaster in Japan, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. And these were all big deals and they all had an impact. And yet at the same time, when we, when we sort of look to today, you know, the US market's near an all-time high. Investors here have done relatively well over that period. It wasn't a straight line, but life went on. So your point, Andrew, is that despite all of those potentially bad news or even real bad news at the time, it really didn't impact investors, really didn't impact the economies of the countries involved. No, not really. Well, I mean, it, it does, but not to the extent that, you know, we should all grab a shotgun, a packet of seeds and a tent and go and live out in the hills. That's good news. I'm not very good with a shotgun. <laughs> no, God help us all. Um, so is it going to happen, do you think, Scott? 
Look, I, I don't know if it will, but I think what's important is even if it does, chances are it won't be different this time. Now, we've been here before. You've mentioned some already, Andrew. Let me add to some of those. Remember Grexit? Grexit was before Brexit. You know, Grexit was Greece leaving the EU, and that was terrible. The markets panicked. People were, were, were worried about what might happen. Now, Grexit didn't actually happen. Mm. War in Ukraine was proposed. You know, was, was it going to be war in Ukraine? Of course, we had Russia on Ukraine's doorstep. That's right. Um, you know, Ukraine was going to be the, the tinderbox of Europe that was going to bring the markets down. Yep. The U.S. government, remember the fiscal cliff? Uh, one of I those do. really wanky terms. I do. It was about the U.S. government running out of money and all of a sudden having some massive change to the economy there that was supposed to bring mm. them to their knees. Arab Spring was another big deal. U.S. Yep. budget standoff. Yep. U.S. lost its AAA credit rating. Remember the Y2K bug that was supposed to destroy life I as we do. knew it and computers as we knew I, it? We're all I gonna, do. I'm old enough to remember that. All of our computers were going to go to, yep. to be you know, expensive doorstops. Mm. The war in Iraq, multiple wars in Iraq, terrorism both here in the U.S., in Bali. Um, these things were all likely to be problems. Now, frankly, I don't think Brexit will happen. Mm-hmm. But let's take, a, let's take a line through this. Okay. If it does, it's probably not going to impact Europe anywhere near as severely as markets are currently pricing in. Mm-hmm. If it does, it probably won't impact on Australia. And even if it does impact on Australia, that impact is likely not going to be felt in a widespread way. Mm. Now, let's keep going. If it does impact Australia, it's, not going, to, it's going to be the exception that proves the rule when it comes to investing. Mm-hmm. Most of these things, as I've already said, had no long-term impact on our markets, on our economy. And if it does impact us, then it's frankly just straight bad luck. But the sensible approach is to invest anyway. That is, we don't know whether it'll happen, but we should invest anyway mm. because let's look at a regular six-sided dice, right? Let's mm-hmm. pick a dice. Mm-hmm. The odds of are overwhelmingly in favor. You won't throw, say, a four. Let's pick a four, okay. right? You roll a dice, six sides. There's a one chance in six chance you're going to roll a four. Mm-hmm. Now, you could safely bet against that four time and time again. Mm. Five chances you're going to be right. Yep. If I give you two to one odds, you'd make a fortune, yep. right? If I do happen to roll a four, though, Mm. does it invalidate the odds? Does it invalidate the reality that it wasn't likely in the first place? Mm. In other words, just because something happens doesn't make it likely and frankly shouldn't change what you're going to do. Mm. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the last count, the odds of Brexit around 35, 37%, something like that. One chance in three, let's call it. Now, the odds of it turning into a significant sustained market collapse are far, far less, probably less than one in six on our dice. Now, Does that mean it can't happen? No, of course it doesn't. And frankly, I'm saying this now, and if it does happen, I'll look like a deal. But that's not not the reality. The reality is that I've kept investing, you've kept investing despite wars, terrorism, financial calamity, and most pervasively, no shortage of people saying the end of the world is nigh for Mm. any number of reasons, Andrew. Mm. Now, as an old bloke you might have heard of, Warren Buffett said, keep investing anyway. You think it's different this time? Well, good luck. A century of investment returns says you're dead wrong. Volatility is the cost of admission for investing. It's the price of investment success. And frankly, it's not optional. Yeah, another point I'd, I'd just make briefly here is that, you know, let's, you know, we'll move past this at some point, no matter which way the, you know, um, the dice fall. But then there'll be something else that comes along. There'll be another bit of uncertainty. As sure as night follows day. You know, and, and I often hear people sort of saying, look, I'm just going to wait until, you know, all this uncertainty goes away and then I'm going to go and invest. But the problem is it never goes away. It, it's always there. We don't know what it will be, but there'll be something. Exactly. As I said, it was, it was Grexit, then it was Ukraine. Now it's Brexit. There'll be something else. People are talking about the US, US election with Donald Trump. Then there's China. And then there's even right now. Even even if we took Brexit off the table today, the headlines will be telling us about Donald Trump. The headlines will be telling us about China. The headlines Mm. will be telling us about something else that was just about to bring the economy to house prices, Mm. you know, public debt, private debt. There's every number of reasons all the time not to invest. The sensible, the successful investor invests regardless. Yep. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche.
Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Well, you know, speaking of uncertainty, the uh, Productivity Commission came out recently and they had this report and it's, it's a pretty scary headline. They said that as much as 40% of Aussie jobs could be lost due to things like automation, so think robots, um, and uh, things like machine learning, artificial intelligence. It all sounds very Jetsons-y. Uh, bring on the flying cars. Well, yeah, bring on the jetpacks. Um, but do we need to be worried? Look, Andrew, if there's a 40% chance, let's call it 50%, uh, I vote you go, I'll stay. Okay, <laughs> sounds good to me. Um, <laughs> so, so hang on, so 40%, right? So let, right. Let's, let's call it 50%. Mm-hmm. Uh, but surely, surely, they're not going to replace us, right? Us financial types in our shiny suits, surely we're safe. Well, I, look, I don't know about that. There's there's all kinds of new things that people are talking about uh, lately. There's things like robo-advice. We were talking about ETFs on a, on a thing. You know, it's, it's making perhaps the uh, the traditional financial advice less relevant than it once was. Jeez, what do I have to do? I think the thing is that you have to always try and do is just make sure that you're hard to be disrupted. You know, the first thing, I guess, let's, let's take a step back here. Jobs have always been disrupted. Well before anyone had heard of machine learning or things like that, Jobs were going. I mean, can you think of, do you know many people today that are a blacksmith or a you know, candlestick maker, a barrel maker? Now, these were, these were really widespread professions at one point in time, but mm. technology improves. You know, um, a lot of tasks simply requ- you know, require fewer people and farming, manufacturing, they're the classic examples. Um, uh, that being said, these things also create a lot of jobs. So a hundred years ago, I mean, no one worked in IT. Um, there weren't mechanics around. There weren't hedge fund managers and these kinds of things. So new jobs come along um, in jobs that we really just can't imagine today. Um, and even the jobs that stay around, they change dramatically. I mean, you look at something like a plumber. You know, the plumbing's been around since you know the times of the ancient Greeks. But, you know, the tools that they're using, the technologies that they're using are very, very different. And so is the skill set. The same can be said for builders and brickies and all of the other kind of stuff as well. Um, now, there will be jobs that are lost. I mean, that's that's absolutely a given. And given the pace of change, maybe we'll see a greater rate of job losses um, you know, in the next hundred years. The jobs that are most susceptible are those that don't require any, I guess, creativity. The things that machines find really hard to do, things that require nuanced decision-making. Um, you know, what you really want, you know, is to avoid the things that are highly repetitive and things that machines and computers can do really well. They can't do a podcast, can they? Uh, <laughs> let's hope not because we'll be in trouble. Um, but your, your best defense really is to skill up, get some training, be flexible in terms of the sorts of work that you're prepared to do because you really just can't know what's around the corner. Yeah, that, that's a really good point, actually, Andrew. I mean, no less than RBA Governor Glenn Stevens made a, a similar point in a recent Q&A session. He gave a, a speech to, to types like us in our shiny suits. Uh, but one of the things he made the point of, and it was talking about, you know, exactly this, jobs of the future. And, you know, was the economy prepared? And, and Stevens made the point that 20 years ago, if, even if we'd chosen to be somehow prepared, if the government had said, let's create a 20-year job agenda of yep. some description using the, the jargon they like to create agendas and white papers and all those sort of fun things, even if they'd done that back in the day, they wouldn't have been able to imagine, as you've already said, the sorts of jobs that are around today. And so trying to pretend we can do it is, is futile. Mm. By the same token, those jobs have been created. We're sitting here with an unemployment rate of 5.7%. That's really, really low. Pretty low. Now, cold mm. comfort for those who can't find a job, of course, and, sure. and frankly, an important reason for us to have that social safety net. But that's very good evidence of the self-sustaining power of what we like to call democratic capitalism, the, mm-hmm. the very market forces that sometimes have some you know, adverse outcomes. We don't always like everything that happens when it comes to the markets. Sure. But broadly, you know, the profit motive, the profit incentive, people start companies, create jobs, do new things, 
the Amazons of the world, the Kogans of the world, mm. these companies didn't exist 20 years ago. And the, the very creation of these companies and the jobs that go with it make a massive difference. The mm. sorts of services that are being provided to, to people like us who've got a bit more money, a bit more spare time, and frankly, you know, have a different way of enjoying our lives. The the laptops and, and phones that are in front of us right now, these things mm. weren't imagined, let alone in, 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 mm. in, um, in reality 20 years ago. And that sort of change makes a difference. So what about for investors? Um, you know, I, I remember our co-founder actually for The Motley Fool made, David Gardner made a point on this recently. He did. And I, think he was, I think he was actually channeling someone else whose, whose name I can't recall. So uh, fair attribution to, to whoever that was. But David Gardner makes the point that 200 years ago, if you're a farmer on the Nile River, mm -hmm. your kids were going to be farmers, your grandkids were going to be farmers. You knew exactly. You could look almost 200 years into the future and say, well, mm. I'm a farmer. They're going to be a farmer. My father was a farmer. It's what we do. Yep. As technology's changed, you know, 40 years ago, you could have said, well, I'm in manufacturing. My kid's probably going to be in manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Think back to, to BHP, you know, the steelworks in Wollongong and Newcastle. Right. You know, if your dad was a BHP steelworker, you probably were, and your son was probably going to join you in, as an apprentice and work his way through the business as well. Yep. As Again, as technology continued to improve, those things, by the way, have got shut down and replaced and disrupted, as you yep. said. Yep. And it's just shorter and shorter periods of time. Now, you can't look forward 20 years and imagine what the world might be like. Mm. As investors, the important message here is, there are some very, very few companies that now are bottom draw stocks. Mm -hmm. There's very few stocks you can buy, mm -hmm. put them in the bottom drawer, come back 40 years later, a millionaire. Yep. You're yep. going to have to keep aware of what's happening in the market, mm -hmm. what's happening to jobs, what's happening to technology, retail, sales, manufacturing, mm -hmm. and just be a little bit more nimble. Now, mm -hmm. that's very different from saying you should trade a lot. We're definitely not saying that. Yep. What we are saying is think about the sorts of things that are going to disrupt the companies you own. Take Kodak. Kodak was the world's mm. biggest film and camera manufacturer for, for decades. Yeah, and huge. in the space of about four or five years, it went from from here quite literally to zero. Yeah. Those are the sorts of disruptions you need to be very, very aware of as an investor. Yeah. It doesn't mean don't invest, by the way. It absolutely means keep investing. Just don't assume nothing will change because if anything, change is the only constant. Value stocks. Market. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Well, how's this for disruption? Um, a whole lot of Aussie investors are now much poorer than they were at the beginning of the month. Scott, I told you this investing like was ridiculous. <laughs> it's not easy. Um, uh, I was reading in the paper the other day, you know, something like $90 billion was wiped off the value of the market over the past few weeks. It, it sounds really scary. What does it mean when we say $90 billion was wiped off the market? What did you say about shotguns and, and seeds? I might go and duck down to- yeah, A good investment, maybe. Well, exactly. I might go and buy some. Now, look, seriously, when pundits talk about the market, they usually talking about one of the major indexes. So think about the ASX 200 or the All Lords, for example. Mm -hmm. The All Lords itself has about 500 companies in it, almost exactly 499, 501, something like yep, that. Yep. If you add up the value of all of those companies, so take the number of shares that are there, multiply it by the share price. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if I own you know, a company X and they've got a dollar a share and there's a million shares, then it's a million dollars is the company's value. Okay. Um, if you add up all the value of all the companies in the All Lords, you get to $1.6 trillion. That's with a T, by the way, wow. um, worth of value. So that's that's $1.6 million million yeah not, not not a bad stash between friends a nice little wedge to walk around with a lot of cash now if the all odds drops by say two percent that's about 32 billion dollars worth of value right. in air quotes right. that gets wiped off the market wiped off by the way is always the, the term you hear with these things <laughs> yeah, up in smoke exactly now if you're yeah. trying to make something sound dramatic you add all that together and you say the aussie market is at 32 billion wiped off the market yeah. That sounds like a lot more than saying, well, the Aussie market fell by 2% yesterday. 2% doesn't sound that dramatic. It's not, it's not a great deal, is it? And by the way, what you don't ever hear in the media, and, and you know, because we're, we all like doom and gloom as consumers as well as media proprietors, 
You know, they hear the Aussie market added $32 billion today. It just doesn't have quite no, the same. I've ring. never heard that. It doesn't quite uh, you know, create the same, the, same, uh, the same fear, if you like, the same interest. I think the other thing we have to remember, too, is these indices that, that, that we use to track the market, they're not, it's not evenly weighted. You know, things like the, the bigger companies have a bigger influence. So, mm. for an example, if you take the big banks, ANZ, um, NAB, CBA, uh, Commonwealth, Telstra and BHP, mm -hmm. uh, add them in as well. That's a third of the market right there. Mm -hmm. So the way that this thing is measured is that you can actually see those stocks suffer a big fall. A lot of other stocks can actually be up, but the market in general will still be down. So it's an average. It's trying to give us an indication of what happens on average, sort of, you know, uh, across the board. Um, so we, again, we need to keep that in, in perspective as well. The next logical question is, you know, where, and this is, we get this a lot, where does the money actually go? So when $32 billion disappears, who gets that money or does it just disappear? What happens? There was a really, really, really big shredder at the ASX and they just feed the $100 <laughs> right. notes and they just they, they make confetti out of them and ticker tape. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Um, obviously. The, the fact is the value might have, the quoted value might have changed. And yes, by the amount of money that's there. But it doesn't mean all shareholders have lost that much. Frankly, most most of them didn't probably sell at all. Maybe 1% of shares traded hands in a given day. Right. The 99% of investors who held 100 shares of BHP or 1,000 shares of Commonwealth Bank mm. still have those shares. They still own that part of that business. Yep. And they really haven't realized any significant loss at all. Yes, the paper value of those shares has, has moved, mm -hmm. but it does every day, every week, every mm -hmm. month. Mm -hmm. These things are volatile. Every minute. Exactly. And, and while you saw a little bit of a loss, maybe 2%, maybe 1% yesterday, you know, you've probably up a long, long way on what you actually bought the shares for, particularly if you're in those big banks. They've yeah. gone up multiples over the last 10 or 20 years. Yeah. In other words, frankly, it's a total nonsense. It's it's journos and sub-editors and editors playing with big numbers, basically for a punchy headline. And again, I don't blame the editors. They're the ones we want to read, right? No one bothers to click on the article that says $32 billion added to the market. We no. all go past that. Yeah. $32 billion wiped off. Well, I'm going to click that because, gee, I feel poorer all of a sudden. So I get it. And it's not, those falls aren't insignificant, but we do need to keep things in perspective. Remember, the market over time has added a massive, massive amount of value despite mm -hmm. the occasional fall, not in absence of those falls. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Well, speaking of keeping things in perspective, here's our weekly foolish moment of truth. Dun, dun. What most people get wrong about investing and how to get it right. So, you know, um, here's a newsflash. It hopefully isn't news, but the vast majority of the financial services industry is much more interested in making money from you rather than making money for you. Surely not. I'm, I'm sad. To, it's, um, yeah, it's true. Um, that means that financial education, I'm talking about real financial education, is sadly lacking. So over the next few weeks, we're going to try and bring you some of the things that most investors get wrong about investing and how they can get it right. Now, the first one is related to the point that we just made, 90-odd billion dollars being wiped off the market. Markets move. Prices are volatile. It happens. But the savvy long-term investor knows something that Warren Buffett himself really captured nicely in a single sentence. Make the market your servant, not your master. Yeah, just because prices are quoted every second of the day, six hours a day, five days a week on the market doesn't mean you should let that influence your thinking. It'll actually, frankly, send you mad. Now, if I offered you, Andrew, 200 grand for your house today, mm -hmm. you'd think I was stupid. Yep. If I offered you $2 million for your house tomorrow, you'd equally think yours. I was stupid. You might, you, <laughs> might take the, you might take the money, but you'd think I was mad, right? right. I've seen your house. It's not worth $2 million. <laughs> you can pay that if you want. <laughs> now, you'd, you'd frankly think I was an idiot. Yet mm -hmm. most people give the market, the, the ASX, those magical numbers quoted on a computer screen, some sort of mystical power of accuracy. Mm -hmm. And that's a really big mistake. 
Now, let's go back to the GFC, right? Mm. Now, it's getting a bit long in the tooth. For some people listening now, they probably don't remember first hand the GFC. Most of us, unfortunately, do. Mm. The market fell about 40% from yeah. 2007 to 2009. Huge. Now, think about that. If you were 100 grand in shares, yeah. you had 60 grand all of a sudden. That 40 grand, you lost a really big number. Sure. If you had a million bucks, you lost a, a, even more. Yeah. Now, yes, okay, the, the market fell. But then, so was it right in 2007? Well, I'm not sure. Was it right in 2009? Well, I'm not sure. Mm. So if that's not true, then was the 40% really a significant loss? Mm. Now, by the way, it's made up all that gap and more since 2009. So mm. when was the market actually right? Which of those three points is right? Or is it actually none? Mm. And that's the key, the key question here. Now, the smart investor doesn't trade frequently. She doesn't freak out of the daily share prices and probably doesn't check a portfolio more than once a week. Mm. And quite frankly, I say she, because newsflash, women are much better investors than us blokes. Now, Let's take a single example. One business that we all know, we've probably all shopped in multiple times, Harvey Norman. Mm. Those shares traded for the equivalent of three cents a share in 1988, just over 30 years ago. Wow. They were $6.90 in 2007. Mm-hmm. They were $2 in 2009. Mm. And now they're back to four fifty. Right. So three cents, seven bucks, two bucks, four fifty. Right. Were all those prices really accurate? Does, does anyone really think that following that share price and being having your mood governed by that share price actually made any sense? Mm. Now, Three cents to four fifty is an astonishing gain, one hundred and fifty odd fold over thirty years. The shares were enormously volatile, swinging up and down with that crazy moody market. But the real money was made by those who bought quality businesses and simply hung on. So that's the lesson: buy quality businesses, buy for the long term, ignore the market gyrations, rinse and repeat. Right? Absolutely spot on. Well, Scott, I think that wraps things up for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of foolish insight and hopefully a laugh or two. Thanks for listening, fools. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.